Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Wednesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, we'll hear how DeKalb County plans to vaccinate homebound seniors and a conversation with film and Broadway star Danielle Brooks, who now stars as the great Mahalia Jackson. I just had to say, okay, well, her phrasing is different. Her phrasing is longer than mine. Mm -hmm. She clips her words. She doesn't say children. She says children. Like those little things like that, I had to just be very detailed on and just let loose a little bit vocally. I think I'm very structured and she's more melodic and leans back and just figuring out like where does like certain come from those those moans like where do they live in the body it took some time it didn't happen overnight (laughs) (laughs) now all that's coming up but we'll begin with this atlanta mayor keisha lance bottoms gave her annual state of the city address earlier today from the pandemic to housing affordability to the rise in crime Mayor Bottom said the city is taking measures to increase the number of officers as well as improving police training. We currently have in training three new APD recruitment classes with a total of 90 recruits in the pipeline. Building on what we have learned from our advisory council on the use of force, we partnered with policing experts to develop new training that includes de-escalation tactics. What that means is that officers are being trained on when and how to intervene to defuse the situation when engaging members of our community. Now, Mayor Bottoms administration has come under fire about the rise in crime. She acknowledged the recent spa, spa killings and pledged the city would work with private and public partnerships to combat crime. It's why we will seek to use a portion of our American Rescue Plan funds to support a $5 million commitment to expand Atlanta's Cure Violence Initiative. Many of the gun crimes that we see are between people who know each other. It's why we need programs that stop people from picking up weapons to resolve simple conflicts. WABE will have more on Mayor Bottoms' State of the City Address later today during All Things Considered, hosted locally by Jim Burris. In other news, more Atlanta business leaders are speaking out regarding the sweeping voting measures Georgia Governor Brian Kemp recently signed into law. The Republican-backed legislation overhauls the state's voting system and puts in place what Democrats and other voting advocates call restrictive measures. Now, in a statement, Atlanta Falcons and Atlanta United owner Arthur Blank stated, quote, we should be working to make voting easier, not harder for every eligible citizen. He then went on to say his business organizations has, quote, conveyed that ideal directly 
to state officials in recent weeks. Also, in an internal memo released just within the hour, Delta Airlines CEO Ed Bastian wrote, quote, I need to make it crystal clear that the final bill is unacceptable and does not match Delta's values, close quote. And within the hour, Governor Kemp reportedly responded in his own statement that he wasn't expecting backlash from. But this is from the AJC, quote, at no point did the airline raise objections with his office about certain provisions in the measure, close quote. Now, still, Governor Kemp continues to stand by the law. You know, I'm telling you the truth about this bill. It expands access. Uh, it's adding the, the voter ID requirement on absentee ballots by mail, which is going to make the process more efficient. It's not going to be hard for people to continue to use that process if that's what they want to do. Now, Governor Kemp was in a recent conversation with our own Emma Hurt. You can hear more of Emma with Governor Kemp that is on our website. Now, on to our daily coronavirus update. More than 825 new cases were reported just yesterday. And this brings Georgia's total number of confirmed cases since last March to 851,306 confirmed coronavirus cases. 16,533 Georgians have died due to the virus, and the total number of hospitalizations since last year, 58,660. Meanwhile, efforts are underway throughout the state to get more Georgians vaccinated. Now, this is the first full week anyone over the age of 16 years is eligible for vaccination. And over in DeKalb County, local officials announced a new program just yesterday that aims to help vaccinate homebound seniors. And this will be between the county's fire department and senior services agency. And joining me now, as he always does when there's news about DeKalb County, DeKalb County CEO, Michael Thurman, CEO Thurman, thanks for taking the time. Let's talk about, just to begin, how you feel overall efforts are going to help get DeKalb County residents uh, vaccinated in terms of everything from awareness and making sure that folks know where they can go. How would you assess how you all are doing? I am so proud of so many people in the public and the private sector who have contributed their time and energy and talent mitigating the spread of COVID-19 in our county. And that's at the federal, state, and local level. It's been a united front across DeKalb County, but the DeKalb Board of Health, uh, Emory, the various hospitals, and others, nonprofits, for-profits, working together. And all things considered, no pun intended, Mm -hmm. uh, DeKalb is doing well, considering the challenge we face. Yeah. How did this program come about in terms of you all knowing you needed to vaccinate those homebound seniors and then having the partnerships that you all have now to do so? I was so delighted that the uh, Chief Operating Officer, Zach Williams, uh, Chief Danielle Fulham, as well as uh, Damian Scott, who's over our Senior Citizens Program, they brought the idea to me. And I was so impressed and excited about it and just told them they had my full support. And consequently, uh, we are now out across the county uh, providing uh, vaccines to citizens and to seniors in particular dis- with disabilities, the shots, many of them who cannot make it to vaccination sites. And I know yesterday was day one of this new program. Our own WABE reporter, Mill Moffitt, spoke with one couple, Samuel and Yvonne Gates, <laughs> right outside of their soft cap home. Here's what they had to say. Take a listen. There are a lot of seniors do not have anyone to come and take them. They, and not even their family, not even, they don't have anyone. So you are their family. So I'm glad y'all came up with this so that they can be taken care of. Your response to that, she says for some seniors, 
DeKalb County is their family. Well, first, we appreciate that, uh, you know, WABE, Georgia Public Radio, for being present. That was amazing because it helps us get the message out. And oftentimes, the important thing is the messengers. And Mr. and Ms. Gates are the perfect message, not a talking head, not a politician, not a commentator on TV, mm-hmm. but real people talking to other seniors who might have vaccination hesitancy, encouraging them to get vaccinated. I mean, and I told Mr. and Ms. Gates that what you all are doing will ultimately save lives uh, in our state. Now, for folks listening, when we talk about those who are eligible, this is for seniors, and we say homebound. Explain that. Take that a little further for us, CEO Thurman. Well, I'm so proud of the fact that the, the federal government, state, our health departments around uh, the state of Georgia are setting up vaccination sites. Uh, but one of the realities is there's just people who can't get there uh, because of age or other physical disabilities. And so consequently, if we are to reach herd immunity, uh, then we have to get every person who is eligible and who desires to be vaccinated. we got to get a shot in the arm. Mm-hmm. And so this is a smaller uh, contingent, but a very important one. Uh, we have over 600 seniors who we provide meals to every day that are homebound, mm-hmm. that we know can't, uh, do not have transportation or can't afford or have the physical ability to move around. So... This is an important step, a critical step. We're happy to do. So that's one group, 600. That's quite a bit right there. You can pull from that number to start with. I imagine that's who you all are starting with, those who you, who receive meals every day because they are homebound. So they are the the the, can, the candidates for this vaccination that y'all want to reach, correct? Absolutely. Mr. Scott, who's over our senior citizen program, he, that's a, 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 a population. He has a database, and we're working from that. And uh, it works well. It's a, uh, a coalition between our senior citizen program, our DeKalb Fire Rescue, our EMTs. We have EMTs, obviously, who are licensed to provide the shot. And the, the Board of Health have representatives there uh, to oversee the administration of it. And CEO Thurman, I understand that you all were able to vaccinate maybe around three dozen DeKalb County seniors. Is there a goal that you all want to reach? Or are you just going to do it till you till folks are no longer signing up or applying? We'll do it as long as there's a need. Our goal is to eradicate this insidious disease uh, from our county, our state, the nation, and the world. And we'll continue to do our part as long as the need exists. Because our goal is to maintain a healthy uh, community and to just eliminate this virus that has killed over 890 DeKalb County residents over mm-hmm. the last 12 months. If you just join us, I'm joined by DeKalb County CEO Michael Thurman, and we're talking about a new program in his county to deliver the vaccines to homebound seniors. Now, this is really important for folks that are listening who, who may know someone or a household where they have homebound seniors, how can they find out about getting an appointment and getting this vaccine? Getting this vaccine? Well, Rose, I hope you all, I know you put it on your website, but mm-hmm. the, the contact is through our senior citizen program uh, with DeKalb County. And so what we can encourage everyone to do is to go to your website, go to the DeKalb County website, uh, click on our senior citizen program and all the information you need uh, will be available to you. And what we'll be doing, too, we're going to do uh, more to educate our senior population as to who is eligible mm-hmm. and then hopefully get them set up on an appointment 
and get some of our EMTs and firemen out to the house as quickly as possible. Let me get your thoughts on this for a moment, CEO Thurman, as we shift, because while obviously the the vaccines are available and now we're hearing from CDC officials and other public health officials that we're so close, as they've been saying, we're so close, we're turning this corner. But there is concern because of the, the new variants and then folks maybe feeling like, oh, there's a vaccine. So they're easing up a little bit and still not adhering to those early and continuing social distancing measures. You have concern, you have concerns about that as well. Absolutely. Do not underestimate COVID-19. I'm just telling you, this, this virus, and in my mind, uh, Rose, we are, this is a world war. This is World War Three that the humankind is fighting. And if you really think about it, more Americans have died fighting COVID-19 than gave their lives in World War One, Two, the Vietnamese War, and the Iraq War combined, and 9-11. So we are at war with a virus, with, 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 with an organism, that has only one desire, and that is to survive. In order for it to survive, human beings, quite frankly, must lose their lives. So we need to approach it with all levels of seriousness. This is not a time to celebrate or to unmask or to uh, uh, associate in a way that might spread the virus. I'm concerned as well. Uh, I'm not convinced that we're out of the woods. I'm just not. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching the numbers. It's up in, what, nearly 20 states. Mm-hmm. It's up in Florida. Uh, case counts are up in Alabama. Case counts are up in Tennessee. What connects those three states is Georgia. Mm-hmm. We're, we're right in the bullseye. And considering that all it has not been confirmed, but there is an expectation that Governor Brian Kemp might even relax more of the measures because even at the midnight tonight, I do believe one of the executive orders does expire. If indeed the governor does relax, even ease up some more of these restrictions, the concerns that you all have and what this will mean for new numbers. President Biden and the director of the CDC and other scientists and and medical practitioners are urging uh, local uh, elected leaders, state elected leaders, not to relax the uh, prohibitions and restrictions now. Uh, we risk giving up all the tr- the progress that we made over the last month. We should not allow the 18,000 Georgians and more than half a million Americans die to die in vain. We must, we must be vigilant, and we must continue to fight the disease at all levels. This is not a partisan political issue. This is about saving human life. And CEO Thurman, you of all people, you you understand the the importance of the county being able to get back to its regular daily operations, mode of operations. But as right now, do you have a timeline when you want to, quote, open the county back up to, I guess what you could say would be your normal uh, operations? Are you still just going to wait and see? Well, we're going to wait and see. We have uh, continued to deliver critical essential services. Uh, We're looking at whenever possible to reopen parks and other public facilities. But right now, health is the most important issue. Uh, I recognize that I'm a former labor commissioner. We need to get people back to work. We need to get the economy going again. Save as many small businesses. We have a small business loan program. But at the same time, my prime directive is to protect the safety and the health and well-being of 750,000 residents. That is my number one responsibility, and I will not waver a falter from that that's been granted to me by the voters of this county. 
And another issue, CEO Thurman had concerns about evictions. And I just received an email from a listener who was talking about a, a, a landlord in DeKalb County that, that has a lot of units. His tenants are behind. Allegedly, this landlord did apply for assistance. What can you tell us about that, that landlord and tenant assistance program? Do you all still have funding or have you run out already? We received $21 million uh, for rental assistance, and we have developed a unique coalition of landlords, tenants, and public and private partners to help to address this crisis in the cab, and it's a crisis all over the nation. Uh, we project that we actually have about a $50 million problem with $21 million to address it. Mm. I spent the last week actually talking to landlords in particular, individual landlords and their attorneys or representatives, this is about helping keeping on roof over the heads of families, but it's also providing relief to landlords. Many of them have not received a dime in rent for over a year. Mm-hmm. So it's a partnership, it's a collaboration, and we are moving forward, I believe, to address as much as we can this problem. Is there a backlog, CEO Thurman? Absolutely. We had over 7,000 applications. Wow. We believe we'll be able to serve about 4,000 families when it's all said and done with this transfer money, about half. Those are tenants and landlords or just tenants only? Tenants and landlords, but 95% of the people who applied were tenants. Wow. Finally, on another note, you, of all people, also know what a big day this is down at the Capitol, Signy Die. I know you have fond memories of all of that, but I want to get your thoughts, and you heard this coming into our segment um, obviously, the big news is that that sweeping voting overhaul of, of Georgia's voting law here. You know about Governor Kemp signing the measure into law. What do you make of this? I'm just disappointed and just devastated that uh, we would engage or go down this path that creates so much chaos, controversy uh, in our state and really potentially across this nation. Uh, what I believe is that the right to vote is sacred. And maybe many of your listeners may not know about the history uh, here in Georgia of the struggle, particularly African-American and people of color have had in securing that right. Oh, I think they know. know. (laughs) I think they know. Let me tell you a part of it they they may not be familiar with, because I had to do the research my own self, and I consider myself to be an historian. I know. I've read your books. (laughs) Yeah, we know about the Civil War and Reconstruction, what you don't, what most people don't know, that in 1906, uh, that was a gubernatorial race by a man named Clark Howell and Hope Smith. And the primary issue in that race was an effort to disenfranchise all African-American voters in the state of Georgia. And the prime uh, campaign narrative was that that the politicians wanted to remove fraud from the voting system. Well, Holt Smith, a former governor, was elected on that campaign. He submitted a constitutional amendment to the General Assembly. It passed. They submitted it to the voters. A majority of voters in Georgia passed it. And consequently, in 1906, African-Americans were constitutionally prohibited here in the state of Georgia from voting. I know some of my friends, Republicans and Democrats, black and white, may wonder why are they so sensitive about this issue. This is a, a, a fundamental basic issue. You know, you don't know how important something is until you've experienced the fact that either you didn't have it or you had it and it's been taken away from you. And in Georgia, the right to vote was not restored after that constitutional amendment was passed for more than 60 years mm-hmm. to African-Americans. This is serious. 
is unfortunate. I would hope that, and I'm glad to see, I heard on your report that the CEO at Delta and, and Arthur Blank with the Falcons and, and, and Atlanta United are now speaking up. We have to step back from this abyss and really think about what's in the best interest of our state. Is this the image we want Georgia to have across this nation and across this world? And it's not just about the next election. We have to begin to think about the next generation as Georgia continues to evolve. And we can't allow all the progress that's been made to be lost and squandered over the next election. DeKalb CEO Michael Thurman, as always, I appreciate you taking the time. You staying safe over there in DeKalb? Uh, yeah, we're doing good. It's, um, you know, I got both of my shots. I'm glad so to hear I that. Do, uh, you're not old enough. So when you you actually. <laughs> <laughs> You're not old enough yet to qualify. So when you do, I'm wishing you well, Miss Rose. Uh, I appreciate you t- saying that. Uh, I do. I know what you mean. It's a compliment. I appreciate it. Michael Thurman, so. <laughs> thank you so much. Take care now. All right. Be good. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. When you hear the term point in time, it's often used to get some sort of snapshot regarding people without stable housing. And while we're all used to maybe seeing or hearing the term homeless, that's not always an accurate or fair way to describe the millions of folks who are unsheltered. Now, the last time, the the last point in time count, which is always led by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, was to estimate the number of Americans, including veterans, without what they consider safe, stable housing. And it's from 2019. Then it was estimated 37,085 veterans experienced homelessness in January 2019 of that year. And that's only really about a 2.1 percent decline Compared to 2018, we're here locally. There are some organizations coming together to try and do something about it. Community Solutions, an Atlanta-based organization, Partners for Home, well, they're coming together to provide affordable housing for veterans. And joining me now with more is Dave Foster. He's the director of the Real Estate Development for Community Solutions. Dave Foster, welcome to the program. I appreciate it. Rose, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's begin with those numbers. I mean, often, and I've had folks say, how do we know these numbers are accurate. And I've heard folks say, listen, we may not have the a- accurate numbers, but we know there are veterans that are unsheltered, that are un- that are homeless, whatever term you want to use. The fact is that we have to find, have to help them. But the numbers, sometimes people want numbers just for information and for maybe for funding. Is it more than what you all think is out there than what HUD, you know, comes up with? Rose, I'm glad you started with the data because that is really the fundamental uh, starting point for this work. The point in time count is one day, one series of days in January, one time a year Mm -hmm. to measure a problem that couldn't possibly be more dynamic. It's like if you took the case count for COVID on any one day and said, well, that's what it is for the year. Well, we know that that's not true. We see the graphs move up and down. And so the very first thing that we do and that we've started uh, with our work in Atlanta is to uh, develop a system that can track that data 
on a monthly and ultimately on a weekly basis. And we're still building out that infrastructure. Uh, we do think the number may be uh, higher than even the numbers that are counted there. Uh, but, but getting that clear data is the starting point for sure. Now, how did Community Solutions and Partners for Home, how did you all come together to come up with, and I'll let you break the news, but you all are, are going to, you all have bought or purchased a, I think, 132-unit apartment building. Is that correct? I'll let you take it from here. That's right. Uh, very exciting partnership to announce here. Uh, in places and cities like Atlanta, where we know there is a housing supply gap, and that's not every place in the country. Plenty of places have enough housing, and it's about getting folks into that housing. But we know Atlanta is growing so quickly and the prices are going up so fast uh, that there is indeed a housing shortage. And so what we've done is uh, developed a unique model to be able to solve for this. We partner with uh, what we would call social impact investors. Hmm. And this is really exciting. In this case, this there is a group in Atlanta called the Atlanta Affordable Housing Fund, mm -hmm. led by uh, a very uh, dynamic young leader, Ashani Omard that has raised capital to be able to put into the purchase of buildings like this uh, at a below market return. So they get like a 5% return on their money as mm. opposed to what others would do. So we're able to partner that money with uh, uh, support from Partners for Home in the city of Atlanta uh, to purchase the Center Villas property and house uh, ultimately uh, more than 65 veterans. So on listening, saying that's great. Obviously, it may not uh, meet the full demand, but this is just the beginning with the purchase of this apartment building. First of all, where is it located? It's about uh, just over two miles west of Fort McPherson, uh, which is critical because this project is focused on veterans and uh, the majority of them will receive their medical care at the Fort McPherson VA Medical Center. So it's a very quick bus ride up the road uh, and proximate to the, uh, the old Fort McPherson. And Dave, you all are, are providing this this housing for them, but let's talk about the moving forward and their the veterans' ability for is the payment. I mean, how's all this going to work out? Get it, if they need further assistance, a further assistance, and also what about vet, veterans that may be disabled as well? Uh, it's it's a great question. So support for these veterans comes along with uh, the entirety of a of a program like this. So uh, the the veterans themselves are eligible for support uh, through caseworkers funded uh, at the VA and at the VA Medical Center. And what we do at the properties is we train our property managers and we we are take an approach to property management that's very different than what uh, folks would traditionally think about, where the property managers are able to. Uh, identify issues, work with case managers, know the individuals on a much more personal level, and and bring a set of needs, uh, a set of resources around their needs in a way that doesn't typically happen. So, uh, from the property manager uh, through the VA case managers on to service providers, there's a full continuum of support. Are you all able to look at other? I guess, like-minded projects or are there other templates that you all have looked at throughout the nation? And someone says, well, how do you maybe gauge the effectiveness? I mean, obviously, if you are ending someone's time of being unsheltered, that in itself is just the first metric you use, but also in moving forward. And, and does this also help you in maybe improvements or ch additional changes when you go to your next investment? 
For sure. Uh, and so you're right that we, we do look to do this uh, at scale around the country. Uh, over the course of the next uh, 30 days here, we'll be announcing the launch of a national fund, $100 million of social impact equity to take projects like this and bring them to eight communities around the country. But one of the things I want to highlight for your listeners is that in Atlanta, we, we do this work all over the country, Atlanta has some amazing leaders and assets and organizations behind this work that makes it a great place to be able to do projects like this. You mentioned already Partners for Home, mm -hmm. and we talked about the Atlanta Affordable Housing Fund. Uh, there's another group called Open Doors that is responsible for mm -hmm. uh, gathering the folks who, who need the housing, processing the paperwork, and getting folks ready to go so when a unit opens, they're there. Those organizations don't exist in every community they do in Atlanta, and it's a good reason to be hopeful. You know, Dave, when I have these conversations, and I've had these conversations with so many folks, so many leaders, and you mentioned using a social impact real estate investment model, and we think about what communities and schools are doing and all the other, and the, the trust funds and all these organizations that are coming together, but you don't want to make developers seem like the bad guys here like it's it's you all against them but you all you all are up against the market and you all are up against new development coming in and with let's be real clear it's not affordable housing through your lens as we wrap up if all of these partnerships and projects can come together and really look at Atlanta the landscape and pick out these places where you know you need affordable housing can we really reach this goal of, of, of allowing folks who don't make, you know, $100,000 a year, what have you, to allow folks to stay in the city of Atlanta proper? Because as I'm hearing, I'm reading, it's changing. You know, from where I, I used to live, man, I couldn't live over there anymore. You know, what's it going to take to really truly come up with this affordable affordability model for Atlanta for folks because so, everybody want to enjoy the Beltline, so, you know. There, there's two. There's two key pieces to it, Rose. The first piece is on the affordability, and what we're doing here is uh, asking investors to think about their return in a different way. There's nothing wrong with going out and, and maximizing profit, but there's a cost to that. There's a cost that we all bear. One of the places you can see it is the $5 billion in the American Rescue Plan that is being passed down to communities now to make up for the cost of homelessness and, uh, in, in those communities. So there, there is a cost. But if we think about that capital in a different way, instead of needing to get 10, 11, 12, 13% on your money, money that can be invested at 5, 6, 7% can have a huge impact in partnering with nonprofits to keep properties affordable for the long term mm -hmm. without having to use very complicated tax credit structures and so forth. The second piece of it that is so important is not just creating affordable units, which is in and of itself very important, but connecting those units, using this data that we talked about, connecting those units to the housing system so that we're making sure that we are housing the most vulnerable. That's the way that we end homelessness. And it's a good way to end this conversation. Dave Foster, Director of Real Estate Development for Community Solutions. And we were talking about their partnership and Partners for Home coming together to provide affordable housing for veterans experiencing homelessness. Dave, thank you and your team for all what you all are doing to help our, our veterans. Thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Rose.
Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. The song is I Will Move On Up A Little Higher. And if you don't know that voice, then you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. You can't mistake the voice. She's considered, and rightfully so, not just the queen of gospel music, but one of the greatest singers, period, Mahalia Jackson. And her story will be told beginning this Saturday on the Lifetime Cable Network. Robin Roberts presents Mahalia of course, the story of Mahalia Jackson. The movie is directed by a familiar name, Kitty Leon, and in the starring role, Danielle Brooks. Now, you may be familiar with Danielle. She portrayed she portrayed Tasty on the hit Netflix series Orange is the New Black, one of my favorite shows. I cried when they took my girl out, but that's a whole other story. And she worked, of course, she portrayed Sophia on Broadway's The Color Purple. I say all this to say welcome Danielle Brooks to the program. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. It's so lovely to talk to you, Miss Rose. So lovely. Let's begin with this because I know that you were approached with this role, only you. But tell me about the first time you read that script for Mahalia. Oh, man. Yeah, this is something that I've wanted to do for about six years, uh, ever since the idea got sparked. Um, and I was like, man, this really would be incredible. And so I was doing what you do about nothing and uh, at the public theater in New York with Kenny Leon directing. And we were sitting on the stoop and I said, um, Kenny, I really want to play Mahalia Jackson. And he was like, well, I want to direct Mahalia Jackson. I said, all right. And before you know it, Kenny had <laughs> a, a, a studio, he had the script, he had everything lined up. And he just said, all I need is you. And I said, oh my God. So I did not hesitate for long. I took one second to think about it and it felt right. I really enjoyed working with him. I think he's a phenomenal director. I think he is someone who knows that that egos in a room don't work, you know, and the best idea wins. And so I just have always loved working with him. He feels like a mentor and a friend. And I put full trust in him. So he's been great. And I'm so glad that I got the chance to do it. He is quite amazing. We love him here down in Atlanta. And I read some years ago, Danielle, that Jennifer Hudson said to you, she said, I can't sound like Jennifer Hudson, but if it was something (laughs) like, girl, you sound like Mahalia. Yes, she did. (laughs) 
I joke now because, um, you know, we, we were still cool and stuff. And so I called her. We talked a few months ago. And um, she was like, you know what, Danny? I actually don't remember saying that. And I said, well, you did. And, <laughs> and what was funny to me, though, and how God works and how this whole thing works, is sometimes people can just drop a little nugget, something special in your ear. And it's to them, it's nothing. They don't remember it. But to you, it opens a whole avenue, a whole world opens up for you. And that's what that moment was, the possibility of saying, wow, I could actually, I could actually do this. And so I ran with it. I ran and I, and I hadn't stopped until, the, you know, they called, it's a wrap. <laughs> I was just so grateful to finally hear those words, something that I had been working at for so long actually come to pass was really cool. And by the way, listeners should know, this is you singing. Okay. Yes. This yes. is you singing. Yes. Yes. See, somebody's calling you right now. Why? I don't know. That's so <laughs> weird. What the heck? One second. Hello? <laughs> Carla? Okay. All right. Um, sorry, that's hair and makeup coming up. Jeez, Louise. Tell, tell, okay. we're going to get you from hair and makeup. Don't worry. We're going to get you there. Um, oh, no worries. Okay. Sorry about that. You're good. Trust me. This is par for the course. You're fine. Now, in my house growing up, there were Mahalia Jackson albums. All of them. And I imagine in yours as well, too. No, we didn't. Really? My dad used to collect records and my mom's gonna get on me for telling on her but she threw them all away because we the time was changing we were starting to get into cds and 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 tape you know tape so they threw them all away and i know he had some good stuff Uh, i don't know if he had mahalia but i know he had some good stuff but I just, you know, through church was introduced to her Mm -hmm. um, because I spent every second of my life in church, um, you know, whether that was usher board or choir rehearsal or something, I was there. And so I just got introduced to her and like people like Martin Luther King and Jesse Jackson, who's from South Carolina through um, through my church family. Take us through. Mahalia Jackson's singing style because you it's it's one thing to be an actress playing Mahalia Jackson but you also have to embody her tone her cadence her style yes how did you prepare for that because you can sing thank you thank you so much uh you know I think that's been the the biggest pressure cooker for me is the singing because she is the queen of gospel you know and these are it's a big robe to fill (laughs) most people say big shoes big church robe to fill um and so that was challenging and i just had to take my time and not take song by song we spent a week in atlanta going over the music pre-recording just in case we needed it but i sang like at least 85 percent of that live Mm. um in the movie uh, but yeah, we we took the time, but it was it was different because I, th- I really believe Aretha was influenced by Mahalia mm-hmm. because their cadence and and no song is ever the same, so it was very hard structurally to follow the music and 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 just make something in stone. I couldn't really do that because everything was so different, you know, um, and so. 
I just had to say, okay, well, her phrasing is different. Her phrasing is longer than mine. She clips her words. She doesn't say children. She says children. Like those little things like that, I had to just be very detailed on and just let loose a little bit vocally. I think I'm very structured and and she's more melodic and leans back and just figuring out like where does like certain come from those those moans like where do they live in the body uh it took some time it didn't happen overnight (laughs) but i imagine you were prepared for this because i want to go back for a moment because you although you were born here in augusta georgia but your hometown your roots are in south carolina let's talk about the governor's school for the arts and humanities Yeah, I was very fortunate to go there. My mom, I just got to give her some love because she just found every art school for me to attend. I was changing schools almost every two years because she would find another program to put me in. And I'm glad she did. So she found the governor's school and um, I auditioned. I didn't even know what a monologue was. And I auditioned with a poem that a brother from my church had written. And I auditioned with that and I got in and it changed my life. It, it, it was really a mini Juilliard there. And I would encourage, you know, if you're in South Carolina or any, even if they have them in Georgia to take the time and, and do some research and see if it's for you. Because for my school, we had myself, Nicole Bahari, Tiana Paris, um, Patina Miller, mm-hmm. who's a Tony winner. Um, it, it, it's a good group of black women that have come from that school and I'm gl- grateful to be one in the number, but um, they're doing a good job of teaching, teaching the basics, the foundation of, of acting to, to kids. Well, then you went on to Juilliard in New York. You studied drama. And by the way, if you're just joining us, I'm joined by Danielle Brooks from Film and Broadway. And we're talking about the upcoming Lifetime movie, Robin Roberts Presents Mahalia. Now, the following scene takes place in 1947 as a record executive from Apollo Records tries to persuade Mahalia Jackson to record a song, but not gospel. You see the variety of artists we record? I think you'd be wonderful. I think you could really sing the hell out of the blues. Well, a Negro can't sing the hell out of the blues. That's what life been for most of us. See, Miss Berman, I'm so tired of getting so close to making a record only to find out that people want me to sing some other kind of way. Now, people don't understand that pain that you hear in the blues. It ain't got nowhere to go once it's inside you. The blues can't guide you how to live like gospel. Now, gospel, that's the cure for the blues. Mm. And, you know, Danielle, when we talk about Mahalia Jackson, and we know that when she sings Amazing Grace, Didn't It Rain, Precious Lord, His Eyes on the Sparrow, Mm -hmm. what did you, what resonated with you about playing this great creative? Oh, wow. I think it was, for sure, her connection to God. I don't think we see that enough in biopics. Like we don't get to uh, connect with a character whose roots are connected to the most high. And um, for someone to know where all the help comes from and to not be ashamed of talking about God. And I just, I really love that because that's 
that's how I grew up. Like I, you can't play at faith. You can't play at believing. And so um, I just connected to her in that way, you know, and then my love for music, you know, I love, I, my favorite genre is gospel music. Mm -hmm. Like I could probably sing any gospel song, <laughs> like you know, just, but when it comes down to like singing a Tupac or a Biggie song or Lil' Kim, I don't know the lyrics, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, so this is what I connected to. I connected to her spirit through, the love of God and the love of music. So as we wrap up, when you went back to South Carolina and you surprised the students at your alma mater back in South Carolina and you told them, I'm going to quote you here, there are still stories I haven't seen being told. There's purpose in that for me. I want to be the love interest, not always the best friend. I want to be an action film, so I work out a lot. I want people to be able to relate to people that, that didn't think they could relate to. So my question to you then, are there more dream roles for you out there? And if so, what are they? Yes, Miss um, Rose. I hope you don't mind me calling you Miss Rose. I'm from the South, you know. That's okay. I'm, <laughs> you know what? I have officially entered auntie mode. I'm okay hey. with that. You know, I, I, a couple years ago when I hit a milestone in terms of age, I'm like, okay, yes. I I embrace that auntie mode. So go ahead, call me Miss Rose. I'm, my mom wouldn't have it no other way. She'd get on me if I didn't. Um, yes. It's been really cool to just be the person that I wanted to see when I was younger. Uh, I am now getting to play in my first action TV show. In, it's called Peacemaker on HBO Max that mm -hmm. I'm here now in Vancouver shooting that. And I have a, a love interest role that I'm going to step into later. And I'm just getting to accomplish all of the things that I wanted to do. But what's exciting about that is now that I have the choice. Like when I first started, I didn't have the choice to take a certain thing. I needed to pay my rent. And now I'm able to say and make decisions um, that are greater than myself. Like I'm able to say, you know what, if I do this role, what is that going to do for the trajectory of women that respond to me? And that to me is really what it's about. Uh, that's to me is why I admire people like Queen Latifah who have become moguls and have been able to break different barriers. People like Viola Davis who have Juvie Productions and, and even people like my peers, Issa Rae, like what she's doing right now with Who Rae is amazing. Like that to me is, it is about inspiring the next generation to go further than what, we, what we're doing. So how do you sum up this journey so far for you? Is it what you imagined it would be? It is that and much more. I was just on set of Peacemaker, my new show, and we were talking about like what our 15 year old selves would say. And I was like, my 15 year old self would be in the corner crying, talking about, I can't believe I made it. I can't <laughs> believe I'm here. <laughs> like, I'm just really grateful. You know, it's, it's, it's a gift to be able to do what you love. A lot of people don't get that privilege. And I'm, I'm very, um, very grateful that the stars align for me to do what I really, truly love to do. Where will you be Saturday night? Saturday night, I will be in my house watching my hair. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope that everybody joins. I really do. April 3rd, 8 p.m. Uh, uh, 7 p.m. Central. 
and it airs the next day. If you miss it, DVR it. You know, I'm excited <laughs> to share. <laughs> well, no spoiler alerts. I watched it. I enjoyed it. It was amazing. I was singing. <laughs> I don't know if my cat appreciated me singing, but I didn't care. I was singing. Yes. Danielle Brooks, thank you so much for taking the time. Continued success. Thank you so much. Thank you. Very lovely to speak with you. Thank you. And by the way, I must say, growing up in St. Louis, I am so familiar with a peppermint pickle. Oh, yeah. See, I know about that. See? Yes. That's a, a Midwest thing. That's a Midwest thing. <laughs> We kind of had to talk our producers into it. They were kind of like, what? So I'm so glad that you you relate to that. That's what it's all about. It's like, we got to relate to our own stuff, you know? Amen to that. So, Danielle, thank you so much. Be safe up there in Canada, all right? Okay. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. lovely conversation by the way this is danielle brooks singing and we'll let you hear more of that in just a moment before we say goodbye on this edition of closer look there's a programming note join my colleague dennis o'hara tomorrow morning at 10 for political breakfast live it airs right here on 90.1 as dennis theron johnson and brian robinson discuss what went down during the georgia legislative session because it's signy die And we'll also have more on that tomorrow. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. If you missed any of today's show, it's online always. WABE.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights now at 7, as well as in our podcast. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Here's more of Danielle Brooks singing Mahalia. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.